Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, March 9th. We begin with an update on the war in Ukraine, specifically the growing list of sanctions that have been put on Russia from multinational companies to energy contracts. We get the latest from Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Next, we continue our conversation on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We get a first-hand account of the efforts being made by volunteers on the ground in the besieged country. We speak with Calgarian Roman Yusufif, a Ukrainian national who was on vacation in his homeland when the war broke out and made the choice to stay to help the cause in any way he can. It's Caffeine Awareness Month. We catch up with registered dietitian Nicole Osinga to discuss the health positives and negatives when it comes to our love of coffee or any caffeinated beverage. And finally, he's one half of the most iconic duos in modern music history. We speak with Graham Russell of Air Supply about the longevity of his music career and for details on his upcoming concert next weekend at the Great Eagle Event Centre. The war in Ukraine now into its second week. How much more support can NATO allies provide without being drawn into the conflict? With some insight on this, we're joined this morning by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning to you, Andrew. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Good to good to have you on. Good to be on your show again. Uh, let's you. let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the the U.S. move it just announced yesterday to uh, to ban Russian oil imports. Does this have the effect necessary? And is there more that the U.S. can still do? But is this a big one? It's a big one. Uh, it's uh, I mean there is a symbolic element to it as well. But I mean it's Europeans who depend mostly on on Russian gas and oil. Uh, the United States. Uh, uh, there's a, some measure in Canada is almost negligible, um, but this has ripple effects worldwide uh, in terms of a price, but also it's a further ratcheting up of uh, of sanctions against Russia that makes the Russian economy that much more difficult to generate income. And uh, and President Biden said this will start to choke off the Russian war machine. Question is, how long does this take? How long does these sanctions have to be in place before they have the desired effect? Mm-hmm. And in there, so there's the desired effect on the, on the technical aspects of the Russian economy, but there's also uh, equally important, perhaps more important, uh, is the impact on the Russian people, the political mood in Russia, and amongst the political elites of Russia, which govern with Putin. Um, and that, we don't know the impact that will have. We know it is having an impact. We don't know the political effect of the impact. It's still too early to tell right now. And with, you know, there's been, you know, more media muzzling in Russia, so it's a little harder to get stuff out of Russia, information flows and so on. Although information still is coming through various means. But it's, anyways, the point is that there is no short term uh, good news to give you. I was reading an article about the impact uh, this time out, you know, compared, Andrew, to 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, Cold War era that the millennials will have as far as, uh, you know, what they choose, what path they choose, the younger Russians, as far as, you know, being on TikTok, getting information and having so much connection with the rest of the globe. Could could that, uh, that be one of the game changers that we see this time out? Yeah, I mean, certainly we, you, you never go backwards in history. You, you always move forward. And, and you correct, uh, these are new. Now, as we look at 
what will eventually become the new post-war environment, because we are dealing with a major war here. So we can talk about a post-war environment. And and there's a lot of, like, as, as the war grinds on with, with huge uh, tragedy you know, occurring, uh, but there is also a parallel track still occurring on, on the diplomatic front. Uh, and you, you heard me say before, um, all wars end and end with a diplomatic settlement of some sort eventually, once the people feel that enough bloodshed has been, has been, has been shed, and therefore, people are now prepared to make political compromises. And on that one, Zelensky, uh, with an ABC uh, uh, new uh, report yesterday, said, gave an interview which he started to soften up his position, saying that he was prepared to look at the Russian demands on the Donbass and on neutrality status. So, you know, these are and, and tomorrow, by the, by the way, tomorrow in Ankara, in Anatolia, in Turkey. Uh, the Russian foreign minister will be meeting with the Ukrainian foreign minister hosted by the Turkish foreign minister. And that, in a diplomatic sense, is, is another important step as they try to move forward. Now, I will. we all know there's not going to be a breakthrough on this. This is a long slog. But there are parallel tracks, what I'm saying, is that diplomacy continues while war occurs. And, and diplomacy tries to shape an ending for the war. The war determines the conditions. So... That's where we're at now. And uh, the, the, the young people of Russia, yeah, how much influence will they have? We don't know, actually. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. But it's a factor. So is diplomacy maybe what Ukraine is after? Because uh, we were talking off air, Andy and I, about you know Poland offering fighter jets. Yeah. Why something like that might not go ahead so quickly? Are there strings attached to that? Because I feel like that would really help, obviously, the Ukrainian people to be able to have you know, that in their arsenal, literally. Yeah, except, that, yes, but there's this fundamental issue with that. Who's going to fly them in? Um, because uh, the, and then that's why it's bogged down. The Americans okay. have said to the Poles, this is, this is not a tenable offer. Poles have made, actually, the Poles made up with consulting Americans. It's kind of interesting. But the point is that, that the Americans have said, like, who's going to fly these airplanes in? Because you're going to fly them into a combat zone. And as you fly into that, once you cross uh, from the Polish border onto the Ukrainian border, that is an active combat zone. Russian fighters are in the air. They are conducting military operations, and they will certainly uh, attempt to shoot down uh, these aircraft as they enter the space. And they might as well go into a combat situation. And that pits NATO and Russia in a war, which is everyone is determined to avoid that because that leads to a wider war, which could be term the third world war if you want um so everyone's trying to avoid that so the aircraft issue is uh has been discussed but the americans so far call it untenable in terms of the practicalities of doing that but diplomacy i mean Zelensky is looking for i mean at the end of the day neither the russians nor the ukrainians are going to completely win this one the ukrainians are not going to be able to push the russians out the russians given the amount of resistance ukrainians are putting up uh, are unlikely to uh, uh take over all of ukraine anytime soon without having huge collateral damage themselves in many different ways. So I think both sides have an interest to settle this thing with some form of compromise. We're not there yet, but I believe that uh, we're, we're eventually going to get there. Back to the, you know, the, the uh, Polish uh, jets that could be potentially used in Ukraine by Ukrainian forces. Is it a case when you say who flies them in? Is that why Poland has approached the states and has been so adamant that they don't want to be the ones to fly them in, that they think that they'd be strength in numbers? Uh, and is that the same reason that the U.S. does not want to? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the Poles said, OK, we'll, we'll offer these jets, you know, because they're makes, right? They're the things that the Ukrainian Air Force can operate. So, so they're saying, you know, but we don't want to fly them in because we, Poland, don't want to go to war with Russia. Right.
Yeah, simple okay. as that. And the Americans say, well, neither do we. <laughs> what about the no-fly zone over Ukraine? Do you think NATO will consider imposing that? Well, they uh, no. Uh, I mean, they have considered it and they've vehemently rejected it. Why? Um, because because it, it it actually leads to a war situation. So, in order to have a no-fly zone, it means that essentially we have to because it's not a policing action. You don't just declare it. You have to actually send NATO fighter jets to fight with Russian fighter jets and and all the other systems that the anti-aircraft systems are coming. You basically go to an air war. Uh, so we go to war with russia nato goes to war with russia to to create a no-fly zone essentially there's that's that means a major war in europe and involving canada the united states Mm. incredible uh what do you i mean nobody has a crystal ball but what do you expect to see from the russians over the next uh, you know i guess handful of days or a couple weeks because things seem to be moving slowly we're hearing that they are gaining some ground any expectations what we could expect so I, on, on, so on the military side, I expect a, a grinding offensive. Very slow. Uh, the Russians are having great difficulty, but they have the numbers. Uh, so the Russians, uh, the Russians have been there historically many times before Berlin, 1945, uh, Spain, uh, sorry, Aleppo in, in, uh, and, uh, and Grozny. So like Syria and, and Chechnya. So they have fought through these things before. They, they, the Russians know how to do brutal uh, urban warfare. They have the numbers to sustain it. Uh, so they will continue to drive, uh, and they will press this attack to encourage the Ukrainians to soften their diplomatic stance and make a deal uh, with them. And then, so the parallel track is I'm looking at what's happening there. But beyond the bilaterals of Russia and Ukraine, we have to step back and, and be aware that uh, China is, is starting to play an important background role. Um, they, they, the Chinese leader had a, a, a telephone a video conference with Macron and the German chancellor, and, the, and France and Germany are the two key pivotal players in, in Europe, Western Europe, that are also trying to broker a peace deal. Uh, I mean, Macron is in constant contact with Putin, trying to work something out. So, and China is the real, they have the economic hammer. And so they are the big player here, and they are involved, and the Chinese have made it very clear that they find this to be uh, a very unwelcome development for war. They haven't so they, they, they have, they, they're sort of siding with the Russians, but not overtly. I mean, not completely. Um, they want a settlement. The, the Chinese, this is, this is hurting the international economy, right. and the Chinese don't want this to happen. So basically, Andrew, there's a lot going on. Thank you so much. Sorry, we have to leave it there for time. We could talk to you forever. Thank you so much for your expertise. Yeah, okay. Really You're appreciate welcome. it this morning. You're, You're very welcome. You're and very welcome. Andrew sure. Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. The war in Ukraine is into its second week and regular citizens continue stepping up to try and help any way they can to assist the people of Ukraine. This morning, we're joined by Roman Usafiv, who is a Calgarian delivering supplies to hospitals around that country. And he joins us now from Ukraine. Good morning, Roman. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, uh, Calgary. How are you? Excellent. I hope you're doing well. Tell us a little bit about your journey, Roman. Why did you decide to go to Ukraine to help? Do you have ties to the country? Uh, yes, I was born actually in Ukraine, but the last 14 years uh, I was in my uh, in my Canada, become a citizen. And uh, a year ago, uh, we decided to go to Ukraine with the little one, two years old daughter. So she can learn uh, Ukrainian and uh, meet our parents here in Ukraine. And we was just in about to leave from here, but all this started happening and we decided to stay and uh, uh, to help locals. 
So let's let's talk about uh, you know how you're directing your energies. I mean, obviously you're you're doing your best in, in, in trying to help out. How organized is it, and are you part of an organization as far as uh, doing what your your work you're doing right now? No, to be honest, is I am one of uh, of a thousand of uh, same guys uh, who wants to do something in this situation. Uh, I took. Um, I took on my side the medical supplies together with the team in Calgary, actually, uh, the, from Ukrainian uh, community. Uh, we, we just start raising money and then uh, getting the orders from the hospitals around the country, um, from Kiev, Zhitomer, Zaporizhia, all the cities that was affected by, the, by this war. Uh, we're getting the, you know, the orders from those hospitals. I'm buying the... Um, them here in Lviv in the west side of Ukraine and ship them by the by the rail uh, to mm. to those cities. Roman, I'm curious. We've we've heard and talked to a few people who have made the journey from Calgary, particularly, but from I'm sure there are people headed from all over the place trying to get back to Ukraine to try and help out the people as you're doing. And maybe you've got a bit of a a step up because you're from there and you you know people there. But when when someone goes to Ukraine to try and help out, is it easy to connect with? You know, as Andy was saying, maybe a humanitarian organization or something like that. Or how are people kind of connecting themselves and and, and finding ways to be of service? I, I think the minute you step up from the plane or car or something, there's a lot of people doing something, and you can you can ask anybody, and they will direct you where to go and what to do. You can help refugees. You can help. Uh, like me, medical supplies. You can do food preparing, anything. Like even my mom, you know, she's she's at home, but she's cooking. She's making varaniki for for soldiers and and ship it there. Just you know, like every single person here. Uh, you know, to be honest, I think one one day the the scientists they will be discovering what happened with what happened with the Ukrainians how they get together and how they, you know, how they can do this, you know, because the atmosphere here is super excited, to be honest, you know, and I'm glad that I'm here helping and, and I'm part of this history. I just want to ask you, uh, Yusuf, are, are you, uh, uh, Roman, sorry, are, are you in Lviv right now? Yes, yes, I am in Lviv. It's quiet. I, I have to admit that this is quiet. You know, like we, we hear the sirens, the, the warning, and we have to go to the basement and sit there for a couple minutes. Uh, but it's it's quiet to compare to Kiev or Kharkiv and other places. So, so Roman, can, can you break down for us? Because I know that we feel, to a large extent, so far removed in Canada. Like, you know, the Ukraine's on the other side of the world. And, and so far removed from a conflict like what is happening in Ukraine right now, years-wise, as far as military is concerned, in, in uh, this you know war theater, if you will. What what is an average day like for you? Because I think it might be hard to wrap our heads around that as Canadians. Um, you know, I you know I have not quit, but I post my my job, my regular job uh, that I do remotely, um, uh, and uh, and I my day starts uh, from the morning. I'm receiving orders uh, from Calgary team. Uh, they getting those orders from Ukrainian hospitals. Uh, and I'm getting those orders. Then I send those orders to the like a medical hub, uh, asking for different medications. And then I receive the confirmation that it's uh, ready to pick up. And I go to those drugstores, pick up that medications, put nicely in a box, 
put the nice signs to you know like on those bikes and and, and ship them um, on the rail. That's just fascinating. So I, I'm obviously it's it's become sort of a you know a well-oiled machine, if you will. That you know in in cities like Lviv, where you're putting things on the train, and then I assume at the other end, you know there are other people waiting to receive those packages and distribute them to whoever needs the the medication or the food, for example, right? Exactly, exactly. There is another volunteers who uh, who who do who just goes in those rails and pick up it. But remember, they are in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. They uh, it's difficult even to to find somebody sometimes. Uh, but uh, like I said, the, those volunteers they they just make some sort of like a network between and saying, hey, I have a package in Kiev arriving in in AAM. Who wants to go? Sometimes they have to even uh, ask the police to escort them. Um, because, you know, like the situation goes up and down all the time and then they cannot even pick up those boxes uh, from here. So, wow. Yeah. Roman, we'd heard stories about, you know, the Russian attacks, you know, kind of centered toward media and communication. How is communication and how is the media right now in Ukraine? Are you getting information on a daily basis? Are you able to communicate with those folks you need to? Yeah, you know what is surprisingly is not too bad. Even Kharkiv, I have a guy, in my team, um, like in my regular job, he's from Kharkiv and he's still doing his job. We have our daily meeting in the morning and then he's, you know, he's he's doing his work. Uh, he has internet, he has lights, uh, TV is working. So, you know, like they did a lot of, you know, a lot of work to, to be able to do this because information is is probably more important even than the weapon, you know. So the, the people there on the east side, they, they still have the, the the TV and and radio they can hear the news and what's happening and stuff. A lot of propaganda coming from Russia side, but the Ukrainians are smart enough to shut it down. Those those uh, you know that that communication on that side, and and those people on the east they have they have uh, they have good communication, so they know what's happening. And you probably already saw on the news that people from Kharkiv, uh, Kherson, Sumer that I would, you know, they would kind of like in, in, on a fence between, you know, like West and East. And now they, now they are from pro-East, you know, they, no, I mean pro-West, you know, they yeah. they really, they take the Ukrainian flag and they say, no, we don't want to go Russia. So why you guys came here? They, you know, without the weapon, they stand in the front of the tank saying, no, we, we, we want Ukraine. Just go away. Why you came, you know? Where Putin expect those people will welcome their his soldiers to you know to come to Ukraine. From your perspective, Roman, is there an organization that we can send help to? That you know you're you're talking about getting orders and getting money from Canada that will help buy the supplies needed for the Ukrainian people. Is there is there one great organization that you would recommend for us to donate to to that might be able to help? Uh, to be honest, I, I just I was not prepared uh, okay, for fair. this, you know, for this question. So sure. I cannot even say I am not I don't I don't want <laughs> I don't want anybody sent to me to my personal email. This is how I do getting the transfer and stuff, because I, I cannot do so many orders. I, you know, like I do probably three, five thousand uh, dollars daily. This is the amount roughly a day I can I can do the orders. But more than that, I will just, you know, I, I, 
I, I need the organization. Yeah, you know? So, but yeah, but from from yeah, I cannot tell you at this moment what uh, what organization. There's a few. I mean, like a lot of them. In probably you can Google them and definitely yeah. find a growth cross road and stuff. So, Most definitely. Yeah. Well, we are grateful for your time this morning. Thank you for for painting a bit of a picture of of what's happening and yeah. and I love hearing about the people who are doing everything they can and and how proud the people of Ukraine are. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah. Just give me one second. I just want to say big love from 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 Ukraine. It's difficult to even keep my tears. How big help is from from Canada, especially from my town Calgary, the my Calgarians, especially Canadian who does who doesn't have even have anything to Ukraine. They're just friends. They they see this and they send me me a lot of a lot of support, words, uh, funds, and and calling me all the time. Big love, big love from Ukraine. Thank you so much for support. This means a lot for those people who's fighting for independence and for the freedom here. You've, you've so thank it. you so much for the interview. And then, and then, we'll, everything will be fine. I know glory to Ukraine, and everything will be fine. Thank you, Roman. I appreciate it. Be safe and your family too. Okay. Okay. Cheers. Thank you, Roman Yusufiv is a Calgarian volunteering in Ukraine. Will caffeine help us get through time change this Sunday? And did you even know it's time change? You got to get that coffee pot ready. Or are we too reliant on this pick me up uh, to help us understand where caffeine fits in our lives? We're joined by Nicole Osinga, a registered dietitian. Good morning to you, Nicole. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So, do we consider caffeine our hero or is it a villain? Where do you stand on this, Nicole? Yeah, so I'm definitely speaking about caffeine awareness month today. So, you know, it's just really about the amount that we're consuming because we know in the short term, caffeine can actually have beneficial health effects. So improving cognition and physical performance, but we don't want to go above 400 milligrams a day of caffeine. So it's just about the amount we want to be conscious of. Okay, 400 milligrams of caffeine. Can you kind of break down what that looks like? Three cups of coffee, that sort of thing? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So it's about um, two small cups of coffee house coffee, or it might be uh, five cups of tea or 10 soda beverages if we're looking at that. Ooh. Do you think in your practice, because you are a registered dietitian, do you think that people know how much caffeine they're consuming on a daily basis? Is this something that's A, readily available, or people just want to not know how much caffeine they're having? It's a good question. And no, I don't think most people know how much caffeine that we're consuming. So that's why um, it's really good to sort of take a look at um, caffeine from all sources, like I said, the soda, the coffee, tea, etc. And just making sure we're kind of staying within that 400 milligram limit a day. Okay, let's talk about the, the, the drinks that have caffeine in them that are good versus the ones that are bad. Green tea, good, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Great choice. What about an energy drink? Yeah, good question about the energy drinks. And, and surprisingly, energy drinks have about half the amount of caffeine concentration per mil compared to a coffee house coffee. So um, that's really interesting to take into account. So again, just kind of keeping within that 400 milligram limit a day is important. Okay, now a bit of a tangent here because we're talking mm-hmm. caffeine. We pulled energy drinks into the conversation. We, mm-hmm. We've read stories, uh, different health articles that say that the energy drinks are bad for kids. So if it has... Mm-hmm. Half the caffeine, for example, of a coffee or, or maybe even a, a soda to, to use as an example. Why, why are the energy drinks bad for kids? 
I think it's just um, sometimes they can be overconsumed. So if we're talking about a 250 mil to 550 mil energy drink, that actually only contains about 80 to 160 milligrams of caffeine. And Health Canada in 2013, they actually did a risk assessment on the effects of caffeinated energy drinks on adolescents. And they concluded that they're unlikely to pose an acute health hazard when consumed safely. So consumed oh. safely is that key right there. Yes. So they get yeah. a bit of a bad rap, really. They do. They do, unfortunately. Yeah. Hey, uh, this is Caffeine Awareness Month, too, which I think we can all, well, those of us who get up early in the morning are very grateful for caffeine. But, um, you know, that being said, does it help us in terms of, okay, this weekend is the time change week, right? So we'll spring forward. Does it help us whether we're doing things like that? Does it really, is it it more of a placebo effect, do you think, Nicole, or, or do we get that boost from caffeine that we really, really think we do? Yes, actually we do because, you know, caffeine is that stimulant. So it works by temporarily blocking the systems that actually slow us down. So, you know, there's been numerous studies about how it can actually improve that cognitive function, physical performance, which you're right, we're definitely going to be relying on a little bit more after the daylight savings time this weekend. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us to not celebrate, but observe (laughs) Caffeine Awareness Day. We appreciate Caffeine Awareness Month. Thank you so much. That's right. Thanks for having me. That is Nicole Osinga, a registered dietitian. You can find more about Nicole and what she does at Nicole Osinga, and that's O-S-I-N-G-A dot com. 46 years in over 5,000 shows. Air Supply, yet legendary group Air Supply coming to Calgary. And this morning, we're lucky enough to be joined by Air Supplies, Mr. Graham Russell. Good morning to you, Graham. Good morning and lovely to speak with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for spending time with us. What's really cool about a group like Air Supply, and I think that you're in rare company, is your music has lasted the test of time, still touches people. Are you amazed uh, that after all of these years, your music still has such a connection to the fans who, who grew up with it? I, I am every day I wake up, I think about that, you know. I mean, we're, we're very fortunate because there is, you know, millions of bands around the world, but we're one of them that did last through generations, and we're very happy about that, of course. And we really don't know why. It's, it just happened. But throughout our career, we've always been very lucky. We've had a lucky career, you know. So it's what it is, but we're very fortunate that it is that way. On that note, Graham, let's just talk. I mean, it's been a tough couple of years for people around the world who've spent a lot of time in close quarters with the families and the people they love. We hear Mm. after all this time that you you and Russell Hitchcock have actually never had uh, so much as an argument. Is that even possible? Well, Normally, it's not possible, but we never have had an argument at all. In fact, we've never even raised our voices towards each other. But when you think about it, uh, it's uh, it's not that far to hard to imagine because we both have different roles within the band. You know, Russell is uh, a very different kind of person. We're very different. Uh, Russell is more, he likes to stay in, you know, and I'm more the nature person, and I'm more... Uh, outside he's very inside so and we have different roles you know i just want to write the songs Mm -hmm. and i'm not a lead singer where 
the opposite is Russell. He's the lead singer and he doesn't want to write any songs. So it's perfect for us. So we're not, there's no ego involved. We're never, there's never a case where he says, oh, I want my song on the album. Uh, that never has never occurred. So our roles are very strictly defined and together we, we create this great um, bond with the band and, and we just keep moving forward, you know. It's interesting with with forty six years what you have seen. You know, you look at your music being released on LP, then cassette, mm. CDs, now digitally. Uh, but I'm wondering if you can break down how important touring is in 2022 uh, to an artist. Is is it uh, gained a, a certain level of well, even more so of importance these days? I think so, especially with now we're coming, hopefully coming out of the grips of COVID. But for us, we've always been a touring band. Ever since we started in, in 75, 76, uh, you know, we've always been opening for other artists. Like in Australia, we opened for ACDC for a while. And so it, it's always been tough for us. But at the same time, we learn our trade. We learned how to handle an audience on stage and uh, we learned our craft by do opening for bands like ACDC and Rod Stewart. So we kind of learned from the best and uh, it's what we love to do. There's nothing more uh, giving than stepping out on stage to a crowd that really want to see you. You know, it's uh, it's just a, a beautiful moment and we get to live it every time we step on stage. Well, you've got a big crowd here in Calgary that wants to see you at the Grey Eagle Resort and Casino. You're coming March 18th, uh, you and yeah. Russell and the entire band. I know this is a show that's been rescheduled from back in 2020 and then in 2021. So what can yeah. people expect to see you when, when Air Supply hits the stage here in Calgary? Well... If they haven't seen us before, they're going to be very surprised because it's a rock and roll show. And we'll, we'll be playing all the hits. We'll play a couple of new things. And we'll have a couple of surprises that we kind of let loose on the night of the show. But for us, uh, the show is all about the audience. You know, we engage the audience straight away as soon as we walk out on stage. It'll be a night that they'll never forget. That is certain. Especially if they haven't seen us before, they should come because they'll never forget the night. It'll be a beautiful evening. And lots of singing from the audience, <laughs> no I would doubt. think, throughout the entire oh, yeah. night. Um, uh, thank you so much for your time, Graham, and uh, all eyes on March 18th. We'll be uh, checking out the show at the Grey Eagle. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you again. That is Graham Russell from Air Supply. Do check it out. Uh, go to the Grey Eagle's website for more details. Taking place March 18th. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.